Yeah, super short. We've got like two two things to talk about, so we're already done. That was it. Okay. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Okay. the The first thing though is actually really interesting, especially in light of um, Josh. You've got your your new GoPro now, and I've got my my little Hero Four Black. And um, the, the Verge just ran a feature article on the company. It's an interview with their CEO. And basically, it's um, it's kind of talking about what GoPro sees as its future in terms of, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rumors swirling around that their hardware is no longer going to sustain them, especially because now they've opened up this new um, part of the market for photography and a lot of other players have, have come in. Um, so GoPro is trying to figure out what their future looks like. And apparently, it's all um, going to center around software, which... Uh, is awesome, I think. Um, basically, they're they're describing this, um, I guess, ecosystem where you shoot footage on GoPro cameras or any other camera, and you think of GoPro as the solution that allows you to quickly assemble that footage into usable clips, um, which which is great because right now uh and and the ceo actually makes a point of um of admitting to this he says that you know we've helped people with the capture side of things but we really we're kind of leaving them um out to dry when it comes to actually making use of that footage because of course everyone buys a gopro wanting to uh you know wanting to make videos like the promotional ones that they see but it's not easy to do that right now with the tools that are available so they want to kind of close that gap as their next step and make it so that people stop thinking of GoPro as just a hardware manufacturer and start thinking of them as the facilitators for um, action footage and for dealing with that footage, regardless of whether or not it was shot on a GoPro camera. Interesting. Very interesting. All right. Do you have any thoughts? Because I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm the new guy. I'm the guy that has never, ever tried a GoPro until this week. And I have no experience whatsoever in video. Like, you know, you, you made that one video for that Tools and Toys review. And that, to me, like, I've never done video ever, ever, ever. You got a week's experience with GoPros on me, though. <laughs> right, right. So maybe I should let you lead. Because I do have actually, I actually have some thoughts from, you know, the very, very new, fresh beginner GoPro guy. Well, uh, just relating to this article, this particular one, I was a little bit surprised to learn that they were concerned about this because I would have assumed that hardware sales should be like a, the bread and butter of GoPro as a company. Uh, I get that they're worried that other companies may, might um, eat into their share, but branching over to software is a, is a logical next step. And I think it's very healthy that they're trying to stay ahead of the market and try to prepare for a future where Hardware alone isn't enough to differentiate themselves, but I, I still think uh, hardware sales will continue to be like the majority of their revenue. I don't see any way around that because, uh, yes, they say that they're worried about or they're trying to make the software compatible with other cameras out there, but I'm not sure how that's going to work exactly. Well, it's not that they're worried. Uh, I mean, they're seeing the beginning of that decline in revenue right. right now, right? I mean, that's what's causing them to make this decision. So yes, for now, it's very healthy and they're they're doing great as a company. They're not obviously going to have any trouble getting investors or things like that. But I think that in order to 
um, to position themselves for long-term success, they have to think beyond just the hardware offering. And right. I think that this is a very smart way to do that because, uh, you know, they're talking about vertical integration, which is, you know, a, a very popular buzz term in the Valley. But in this case, it makes perfect sense for them to do that. And honestly, it's um, it's nice to see any camera company tackling this because it's an opportunity that I think was out there for uh, for everyone, but it was GoPro that that seems to have seized upon it first. I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if Sony had had started um, along this path um, as well. But it looks like uh, it looks like GoPro is beating them to it. Right, and they're also more threatened by the smartphone. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Because smartphones are getting real close to GoPros in terms of image quality already. So the remaining advantage that GoPro has is the raggedness. Angle. Right. In, in fact, your the iPhone is better than at least the Hero Four Silver. Just to throw that in there. I, yeah, I mean, 4K recording with the iPhone is amazing. Right at 30 frames a second, and the Silver is at 15 frames a second. So, anyway, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that it's impressive how how fast the smartphone has uh, narrowed that gap, and the the remaining frontier for them is like I was saying, raggedness, but I think it's only a matter of time before smartphones become even tougher than they are already. Because officially, almost no smartphones out there are weather sealed, but we all know that you can dip an iPhone in, in water and it's not gonna it's not gonna die. It's not like it used to be. So yeah, but there's there's more to it than that, right? Because even if you had an iPhone that's waterproof and you know reasonably shockproof, um, if you're taking like if you're mounting it to your forehead and going downhill skiing or something like that, it's got to be something that takes good enough video, but that if it breaks or if it you know gets lost right. in the snow or something like that, you're not going to be devastated by it. And that's kind of where GoPro sits, right? It's not something that is so valuable that it uh, you know I mean that, in in a sense that actually works against smartphones. Yes, you've got them with you and yes they they can um they have the capability to do pretty much everything you'd need them to but the simple fact that they do so much for you makes them kind of uh, you know i mean i would certainly be very uneasy about strapping it to my head while doing action sports uh, iphone 6 plus iphone 6 plus as you're on a mountain bike down a hill yeah on your on your head yeah <laughs> yeah like that just i'm i'm cringing just just thinking of that uh, well personally you know, but, i would probably mount it on the handlebars of the bike but yeah. sure yeah i mean <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but just the the idea that um you know you would put an iPhone in that position is is not I don't know I I don't see that yet. So I think GoPro has their Yeah, but at the same time pretty much everyone is carrying the iPhones with themselves when they're doing those activities. Like maybe they're not carrying it in a way that is super exposed and prone to damage, but you have it on you, so in a way it's at risk as well. If you fall into a river, your phone's going with you. Right, right. I mean that's true. I suppose I'm I'm thinking of it from the perspective of which one is the primary capture method. Because with GoPro's whole software thing that they want to push for now, um, I think their their goal would be for you to be able to start working on that footage on your iPhone after you've shot it, um, you know, on the GoPro, which would be cool. Or or they would be like, okay, maybe you're not doing a dangerous sport. Maybe you're just, you know, wandering on vacation or something like that. And you're capturing video with your smartphone camera. We want GoPro's software editor, whatever it's called, to be the first port of call when you think of, okay, I want to assemble 
that footage. And what is the de facto port of call right now? Well, there isn't one. At all, right? That's kind of the point, right? I mean, you've got iMovie if you're an iPhoto user or an iPhone user. Right. And this is my experience. Exactly. Like I, this past week is my first, this is my first chance. I go outside, I tape a little video, I come inside, I plug the micro SD card into its adapter, put it into the iMac and I go, where do I go? Yeah, now what? <laughs> exactly. Well, if you're on your Mac. Well, yeah, I, I deleted iMovie right off the hop because I've never done movie. Uh, right, Adobe Premiere is what I would go for, probably. Okay. See, so I went straight to the Mac App Store and re-downloaded iMovie, which on my measly internet took, you know, six hours. So I ended up having to come back later on, which sucked. But so I hop into iMovie and I mean, I'm not I'm not the smartest guy when it comes to these computers and all. But I hop into iMovie and I was told that it was supposed to be the easiest way to to do this kind of a thing, to uh, put a bunch of video clips together, put a little bit of music to them and off we go. And like, I, I got lost, to be honest with you guys, in iMovie of all things. It, it's not like, it's super, I don't know. How do you fast forward something? Well, you got to go into, a, in, or sorry, how do you slow something down? You got to go into a menu, but if you want to um, speed something up, you drag the interface on the bottom, right? Anyway, long story short is I just got lost, a little bit lost at least, in how to import everything in right. and and get everything clipped together. And um, I did figure it out. Like we would all figure it out eventually, but I, I totally, it was a, a stick in the mud kind of thing. It was like shooting video, super easy, super fun. You press the big red button and off you go. And then you get to the computer and it's like crap. Right. And to some extent, I think it's just a problem of uh, the fact that it's a different uh, language, so to speak. It's it's the controls and the way to handle a video feed are nothing like editing pictures, which is what you're more used to. Right. So part of that is that lack of familiarity with how you do things, how you're supposed to do things. So it's it's not, I wouldn't say that it's more difficult by itself, but yeah, it's completely different and, and it'll take you a while to get fluent in that new way of doing things. But Josh brings up a good point because there's the whole issue of willingness, right? I mean, he's, you know, we're, we're tech people, so we might be willing to put in that extra effort and, and gain that familiarity. But <clears throat> the problem that GoPro is trying to solve is for everyone else who really wants to make those great videos, but doesn't have the time or inclination to wrap their heads around the idea that, you know, the concepts of nonlinear editing for video. And that's why that's why I think that the um, one of the things that stood out to me about the article was they're mentioning that when you import footage into their new tool, what you'll be able to do is do the same kind of like hover with your mouse and see a preview of the clip. But when you click, it'll actually highlight that moment as an important moment. So your process of editing this video will basically be to import the footage, skim over the clips, click whenever you see an important moment, and then let the tool assemble a cut for you with music that is timed to those specific beats. And then wow. your only job essentially is either to say, yes, I like it, export and share, or no, I want to tweak some things. And then you're pulling a few handles right. around and then exporting and sharing. So it's basically taking the whole process of manually assembling this edit out of the equation which of course for power users like me is like, I don't want to do that. But on the other hand, it's amazing for people who don't care about like me actually getting, you know, like rolling up your sleeves and being an editor. You just want to, you know, I've just been on vacation. I want to show my family the amazing footage that I caught on my GoPro, on my smartphone, on whatever. And that's why I think that they, they're poised to succeed here because instead of like iMovie is basically 
Final Cut with features removed, right? They, they started right. from one end and removed things, whereas what GoPro seems to be building, and again, we don't actually know because we haven't seen it, but based on this article, it seems like what they're doing is starting at zero and building a tool specifically for casual video use instead. And that's better, I think, for, for their market. Oh, definitely. And there's a huge opportunity there. And arguably, it's an opportunity the, that iMovie failed to capture and because that's the intended purpose of iMovies to bring video editing to the masses, so to speak. But yeah, but I don't think they've managed to do it. I have to agree with you there. I think there's still a considerable level of complexity within iMovie that takes that effort to get to get familiar with it. And if GoPro manages to find a way around that, it's going to be awesome, definitely. Yeah, but there's two sides to that as well, right? Because from my perspective, thinking of it as someone who, uh, you know, well, is obviously more immersed in in video editing as a as a technique. Um, if you start with iMovie, yes, the initial learning curve is higher, but the skills that you have gained are transferable then to Final Cut, to Avid, to Premiere, to all of those other things. Whereas this tool that GoPro is building, if someone is starting out and they want an easy way in, that's great. So they start with this tool. Unfortunately, all of the skills that they've gained from that tool are not really transferable to their upgrade, right? If they decide, I want I want a more powerful tool, I'm getting serious about video editing I want to upgrade whatever they choose as their next step it's going to have a totally different paradigm than right. what they've just spent time learning so from that perspective it's not very helpful well but they do gain a skill that is also very important which is they they are training themselves in the cinematic language absolutely yeah they're they're learning to compose a video and what makes for an interesting video so in in a sense it's like editing pictures with uh, built-in filters, like ap applying filters. You're not learning to edit the picture itself, but you're training your sense of taste, your your sense of aesthetics to figure out how you want to do it. And once you once you have figured that out, then the how to do that using a different tool, I, I guess it's uh, it's not particularly difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a mechanical problem at that point. It's figuring out the the ways to use the tool. Right. I'm just saying that there's two paths to that destination. And um, the iMovie one, despite being worse, I think, overall for people who do not want to take the next step, um, it's probably a better foundational tool for people who eventually will be upgrading to a more serious video editing platform. So just, you know, I'm, I'm balancing the the books a little here. I don't I don't think that GoPro is uh, going to take over everything from from iMovie. I just think that they have right. identified a really important gap in the market. And I I'm really rooting for them. I hope that they manage to execute on their vision because um I mean, traditionally, they're not a software company and they don't actually, I mean, it's just recently that they've even brought on staff um, to, to do in-house firmware. I mean, it, it turns out that the uh, Hero 3 was the first of their hardware units to have firmware written in-house. Everything else was outsourced before that. So uh, it, it's difficult to go from not having much software experience to building a tool of this scope. Um, but, you know, I mean, if they're patient and and smart about it they can do it right and when it comes to building a new thing from scratch you can always hire smart people and yes. get them in a room and let them figure it out and it, it appears that that's what they've done that's that's what i'm getting from this article is that they've um, invested heavily in um, gathering some very good talent 
and uh, exactly what you said, bringing them together into a room and letting them solve this problem basically from from scratch. They clearly have done a good job. The firmware stuff on the Hero 4 Silver, at least, like they've got the touchscreen, right? The black doesn't have the touchscreen, right, Marius? Nope, no touchscreen. Right. So the is the Hero 4 Silver the only one with a touchscreen or does the Hero 3 Plus, do they have touchscreens? Uh, I'm not sure about the Plus, actually. I think the Silver is the is the only one, but I could I could be wrong. Okay. It's the most intuitive, simplest, fastest thing I've ever learned, uh, in all honesty. The um, I, I read some complaints somewhere that the people had a hard time learning how to navigate that touchscreen. Um, it is the fastest, easiest thing. Like if, if I show an iPhone to somebody, to a new person, they kind of click around and they go like, they don't necessarily, um, it, it takes a little longer to, to pick that software up. This, the Hero 4 Silver software is, I, I was very impressed on board. Um, yeah, but it's it's a very straightforward kind of camera, it is, right? And it for, is. for us coming from, uh, I mean, especially for you guys coming from the the uh, much maligned Sony firmware on your cameras, you know, a GoPro is <laughs> going to seem very simple. Um, the, the learning curve was like a tenth of the Sony yeah. time. I get it. Like the Sony is crazy, but. I mean, I said this on last episode. I really, I don't get bothered by firmware complexity very much, but it's it's definitely the case that the GoPro is much more accessible. And mm-hmm. to be honest, it, it should be, right? Because the whole idea is that it's this little thing. And the only thing you really need to know is which which button <laughs> turns it on and starts recording and everything else is right. kind of irrelevant. Right. So anyway, yeah. Um, Josh, though, I wanted to ask you, because you you were saying that you've started shooting with it and and trying out that gimbal and stuff like that. So give us some some first impressions of, of GoPro shooting. First off, I think that that gimbal is like 100%, I don't know, it's almost like a necessity. I, I, I don't think I even want to go outside and shoot anything without a gimbal. Um, I've compared them now back and forth just a little bit. And I, I just, the footage without the gimbal is almost unusable uh, right out of the right out of the camera. Right. However, that being said, the the gimbal that I bought which was pretty highly recommended across the board on the on the internet, like it's the Feiyu Tech G4S, which is um there's the, the G4 and the G4S. The G4 rotates 320 degrees. There's a single function button on it. it you know, it's a handheld thing um, and it spins. It doesn't spin the full 360 degrees. Now the G4S does, and it also comes with this little thumb joystick. So if you, you know, you push to the right, it spins to the right and it can go all the way around. It's really cool for taking like spinning selfies and stuff. But like, so this, this gimbal has firmware to it um, that you can update, which is really neat. But you can't update it with a Mac. Yep. Uh, so, well, yeah, I, I'm just, I was absolutely perplexed. Yeah. Uh, who, <laughs> who in the world is going to, in this day and age, creates a media product that can't be updated with a Macintosh computer? Um, I, I was like, I, I never write bad reviews ever, ever, ever. I wanted to email them and give them a piece of my mind. I thought that was pathetic. You should. You should do that because that feedback is I, important, I just, definitely. Well, I, I just don't get it, you know, and, and, and they're not like a small, like this Feiyu Tech, they've got gimbals for a whole bunch of different products. And and you're telling me that all those people have to update via a Windows computer and then go back to their Macs to create everything? Like, give me a break. Right. Okay, rant number one is done. Um, but the gimbal doesn't have any software uh, or inside, or does it? No, it does. Like, you have to upgrade 
like not not like a user interface. I guess there's a firmware upgrade, yeah. and I think that the firmware upgrade like it gets rid of a few bugs, and I've run into those bugs. Like, um, well, clearly this is an indication that they have no software staff inside the company, or or something like that, because it's otherwise it's. I it could, it could be like I said. I was perplexed. I just didn't get it. The, the whole gimbal. I know I'm talking about the gimbal, but it, it is a. It, to me, I feel like once you have the gimbal, the gimbal and the GoPro are one and the same. Um, I, you know, so far I haven't even taken the GoPro off the gimbal. To to, so far at least. Right. But the gimbal has one single function button, and that one function button is supposed to go through five different. Um, panning modes or you know you can pan up and down left and right um, it can like inverse so it, it flips over and um, but like you're supposed to navigate with a flashing LED and one button through five different modes and this one button is supposed to be able to you know recalibrate the device and everything uh, anyway it, it could be the single worst user experience I've ever had in my entire life with a product um, <laughs> so so that gives the GoPro like the GoPro itself I love it. Like it, you know, you go outside, you, you know, you press the back touch screen with your thumb and it tells you to unlock the screen. Super easy. Um, it's so easy to find, you know, the different resolutions, the different frame per second, like, um, all that is, is so, so easy. You press the big red button and it records it, it beeps and it records. And then you press the big red button again and, and, you know, it stops recording, but the gimbal makes you want to throw the GoPro through the, through the window. <laughs> So like the gimbal does a good job when it works, but it, it, I'm really, I'm honestly nervous about taking it on our trip because like, I just don't want to deal with this on a three week trip in order to get, you know, stabilized video. Right. Um, so like that's, that's impression number one. Um, impression number two would be the fact that 4k video at 15 frames per second is absolutely useless unless you decide to speed it up afterwards. So I don't, when I, like, I'm trying to nail down what kind of video I'm going to shoot when we're over in Europe. And I'm still not set on whether or not I want to go with the 2.7K at 30 frames a second or the 1080p at 60. Right. I'm just not, I'm just not sure. Um, so I've got a little bit more testing to do. Um, I think that's the biggest letdown so far, so far with the GoPro is that, you know, you, you look at your iPhone and the iPhone can shoot 4K video at 30 frames a second. And you just go, well, okay, if the iPhone can do it, then you would think a dedicated video camera could do it, but it can't. So I think I was kind of let down in that department. Right. Um, what else do I got? I think that those are the biggest things. I'm, I'm, um, the, like I said, the user, the UI is, is really, really intuitive. I'm really, really impressed with that. Um, you know, plugging it into a computer and, and taking the video off of the GoPro, super easy. Um, I'm really, really, really excited. When we head over overseas, or overseas, it is overseas, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm really excited. I, I think uh, I'm going to spend time behind the Sony for sure, shooting photos. But I'm I'm equally as excited about shooting a lot of different kinds of video. I'm, uh, that I think that's going to be the the project of the the three weeks for sure. Right. Well, that'll be the the new thing for you. So it'll it's it's great that you're going to experiment. Um, as far as the like the frame rate and resolution thing goes. Um, I, I was saying this in Slack, but my recommendation is probably to do 2.7 um, because realistically, you're probably going to bring all of this down into 1080 anyway. Right. Um, so unless you're going to be doing a lot of speed manipulations, um, 2.7 gives you a 
bit more detail when it's crushed back down to 1080p than shooting 1080p natively would. So right. So hear hear me out for one second here. The only reason why I still haven't decided is because this is odd. It's an odd problem. But the gimbal has like you can spin it right. You can use the thumb, the joystick, and spin the thing around. And my thought was like I was going to take these circular kind of videos to show here we are and oh you know here's what's around us the gimbal actually spins when it works it spins really quickly and i was finding that when i shot the 2.7k video popped it into the computer at 30 frames a second it spun so fast that it was like it was distracting the the little frame rate you know the the jumps you could see in the picture were just slightly distracting. And I thought, well, if that's the case, then I'll hop it up to 60 frames a second. And then I, it got rid of that. And you're right, immense detail, like a incredible amount of detail is lost. But I just found that it felt so much better watching that video at 60 frames a second when that gimbal was spinning. And it's really hard to, to um, spin the gimbal slower because the joystick is so small, it's hard to, you know, just inch it over. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. 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 So if that, like, that was my only hiccup with it, I think I would totally 100% agree with you, but in order to get the stabilized, I, maybe what I'll just do is I won't spin the gimbal and I'll just turn around in a circle instead. And then like with my own two feet and then spin a little slower, maybe that's what I'll do. Well, there's, there's another alternative, right? I mean, you could, you could switch it into 1080p at 60 frames per second for those round, you know, rotating shots and then flip back to 2.7 when you're doing the rest of your um, footage. Yep. Good, good point. I, I don't think you have to think about it in terms of choosing only one or the other. I think both are complementary. I think right. you, you, you're going to have to switch from one to the other, depending on the situation. And to that end, I have uh, a different way of looking at it than Marius. To me, uh, the, in the small incre- uh, increase in quality that you would get from shooting 2.7K at 30 frames per second, uh, I don't think it would be as important. I think you get a lot more creative flexibility by shooting at 60 frames per second because then you can play with slowing uh, slowing the motion. I, I agree with Alvaro just as a beginner, but like I just want, I think Marius's experience with this, I want to lean back on that a little bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. But I, I think I definitely agree with you is that like early on, I go, oh, like the 60 frames a second is so much easier to manipulate and, and work right. with. And, but without a doubt, you lose that detail. Right. What I was going to say though is that the 2.7K, uh, what will give you is the ability to do a slight crop on the image. Instead of scaling it down to 1080p, you can crop the the video feed, and it's like you get uh, a slight change in focal length on the GoPro. Ah, uh, right. So that's right. also a nice a nice way to switch your footage up and try to keep it, you know, a little more dynamic. There's also another aspect of that cropping factor which is important, and that has to do with stabilizing the footage. So if you're ever doing a sequence where um, the gimbal isn't entirely eliminating camera shake or you know whatever other kind of movement um, there are a lot of good tools out there for stabilizing shaky video footage but one of the primary tactics that they use is to actually crop in a little bit and so if you're shooting at 1080 that means that you're degrading image quality uh, significantly right. whereas if you have 2.7k that's a lot of leeway for the algorithm to use right. to punch in a little bit in order to help it stabilize the footage so that's another uh, it's another thing to consider but like Alvaro said it's not an either or scenario I think you just have to um, give a little thought to what you're going to be shooting and then pick a frame rate and resolution that makes sense for that particular context. 
Agreed. I, I think what I'll probably end up doing as well is I think the 4K at 15 frames per second will be usable for great for time lapses. Right. Exactly. And, and we're walking down a, a street and you want to just kind of show you zooming down that street like then the 4K is awesome. So I think I'll probably end up using all three at one point or another on the trip. Um, speaking of time lapses, holy smoke, does the GoPro make it easy to make one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just like mind blown. Even the time lapse on the iPhone doesn't even come like it's not as easy to create as the GoPro version. I I, uh, I loved it. I just put it on the deck for like two minutes and I pulled it out and I went, wow, you know, this is a really, really boring video. But um, <laughs> but the detail was incredible and it was so easy to make. And I, I don't know, I, I'm far more worried right now about the storage space on my micro SD cards. I've got 130 gigabytes to play with. And I think I'm going to burn them in like the first three days. Like I just guarantee you, I'm going to take too much video. Right. But you do have your laptop with you so you can offload it. Right, right. Josh, have you ever used the, have you ever used the time lapse app for the Sony a7 II? I have not. I have been so, I've stayed away from the Sony software because of your kind of, you complained about it a little bit. So I just went, no, I'm not going to ever use it. But anyway. Right. The installing process is a nightmare. It's it's really bad. But okay. once you get it in your camera, it's actually pretty easy to use too. Oh, okay. Good to know. Good to know. So the experience of actually creating the time lapse is not bad. It, it'll probably not be as good as the GoPro though, but, but still pretty good i i you know the time lapse with with the focal length of the gopro like it seems like those were made for each other right but if you want to do a, a shot like on a street with people crossing like really quickly those shots tend to work better on a longer focal length that you're probably not going to have on the gopro oh. so you might yeah, want to keep an eye on point. that and use the sony for that oh i got so much to do in the next two weeks guys so much tech research to do and practicing and oh. but this stuff is fun because this is just experimenting oh, right sure. i mean this is that's i have a lot of other things to do <laughs> yeah but but uh, as far as the gopro stuff goes i mean that's the more that you experiment before you go the better you'll be at being able to quickly choose the right settings out in the field right and yep 100 percent. that's the key right i mean that's ultimately what you're after because i get that for convenience sake it's easy to just lock it into 1080 at 60 and just say you know screw it whatever it, this is fine yeah um but if you're after like the best quality in all possible scenarios then you often do have to play around with the settings so knowing you know making it so that it's instinctive to look at a scene and say okay i need the 2.7k for this one or i need the extra frame rate for this one or whatever it happens to be that's that's valuable because you don't want to be pondering that on the streets of uh right and hence my research all week i walk around Around and everybody, my neighbors think I'm just going crazy walking up and down the street with it. <laughs> <laughs> so not to toot my own horn, but did you guys get a chance to read what the little post I put up yesterday? Well, I certainly did. Yeah. Alvaro, do you have a chance? No. Oh. I'm finishing it right now. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I'll just keep rambling and you He's be multitasking. Good to go. Um, so I wrote up about what I, um, the, the stuff I'm going to take, like uh, we've talked about the GoPro so far, but there's a whole another world of stuff I wanted to take. Uh, in the article, I had said, like, I, I think this trip has proved to me that what I'm bringing along is just as important as where we're going. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. So I was really curious to find out what you guys, um, I want you guys to pick apart, be my, uh, how do I say this, my traveling photography kit auditors. Let's call it that. All right, let's break it down. I'm game. Should we start at the top? Yeah, let's start at the top. 
fire away. Um, okay, so first of all, you're bringing a Sony when you should be bringing a Fuji. Like, come on, rookie mistake. Kidding. <laughs> 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 should have known this was coming. And second of all, you're bringing an Olympus when when you should be bringing a Fuji again. Yeah, like <laughs> I thought you were gonna say a Leica Q. <laughs> no, but the, don't they give them to you like on the plane? Like a Qs? Yeah. Yeah. They should. Just like breakfast. Yeah, instead of the appetizers. <laughs> I'm not flying Singapore Air or anything like that. What's that company that has those incredible jet? Those, um, is it Singapore? I think it is Singapore. It might be. Yeah. I want to. I want to fly one of those one day. Spend the ten grand on a long first class flight and just eat caviar the whole way. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's that's the life. All right. So so camera wise though, I think you're you're. I'm just staying with the Sony kit for now. I think. Yeah, my hands are a little bit like the way I want. I thought about this one was I didn't. You know, I make it sound like I did a whole pile of research, but the camera part, like I wasn't just going to go and reinvest, you know, $8,000 on a different travel no, kit. No, 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 no. I'm going to take yeah. with what I have, you know, for for that portion. Um, no, and I think you, I think you pared it down intelligently, like losing, losing the grip is a good idea because realistically that's yeah. not of value um, while traveling. Um, right. I'm a little hesitant because I don't know, like I've not shot with the a7 II, so I'm not sure about the battery situation, but I'm not sure that just one extra is enough. Yeah. I'm worried about that. I'm worried about that. We're, I, I, I wanted, I think I threw in there, uh, that word, the way we travel is what I yeah. had written. Um, so like it, we always, always stop for like a nap in the afternoon. We right. just, or a nap or we always take a break. Like I, I don't know. That's always, that's just how we've gravitated in the past. So, um, I figured, okay, two batteries. Some people say take three or four. And my thought was if I'm going to stop every single afternoon for an hour, like right. that's a chance to charge everything up. So it's like, I already have four batteries by definition, right? For what it's worth. I, I have four batteries and I always take them with me, but I've never, ever gone past the second one. Oh, that's such good news. Okay. Okay. So then you're fine. You're fine. And it's also, I was going to say that the fact that you have several cameras with you means that it's not like all of the battery burden is not on the one system. Right. Good point. So between the, uh, you know, between the phone and the GoPro and the Olympus, you're, you're probably fine. It was just, you know, being a mirrorless uh, shooter, whenever battery life comes up, I'm like, eh, probably could right. use another one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was hesitant. No, not going <laughs> to lie. That's fine. No, I, I think that your system is, is, is good there. Um, the lenses. Yeah. Anyway, Alvaro, go. Yeah. No, here's another, another idea. You can get one of those external battery packs that you can use to charge everything like your phone, the MacBook and the camera as well. So those little USB USB battery packs, right. they work with the camera as well. You can plug them in and the camera will operate through that power. It, it'll not recharge the internal battery through that, I believe, but you can use it as an external battery pack. Yeah, actually, that was one of the things that, that struck me as, as missing from this equation is that external battery pack of some variety. I don't know about you, but I, I often find myself in a situation you know, traveling where I don't have access to an outlet, but I want to top up my phone or whatever it is uh, in between. And it's just, I don't know, it's a comfort to have. And they're honestly not that bulky. So, you know, obviously if you can buy gigantic ones, but even a modestly sized one will um, probably be a worthy thing to consider for a kit like this that relies so heavily on electronics in general. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of this, to be entirely honest. So this is really good. I should. I. I am quickly making a note in one of the field notes that you see down there. Well, that that's why we're doing this. <laughs> uh, Alvaro, what do you think about the lens selection that he's got here? I'm. I'm looking at this. He's got a 25 f2, a 55 f1.8, and the 85 prime uh, 1.8. I like it a lot. 
I think it's a really good compromise between uh, focal lengths and size and weight because they're all prime lenses, but they span a pretty decent focal range. Like you have a pretty wide 25 millimeter lens that's going to be great for landscapes and, and that stuff. And if you want to shoot the occasional portrait, the 85 baddies is the perfect lens, leaving the 55 for walk around shots and that kind of stuff. I think I know what Marius is going to say here. All right. Well, I'll say it anyway. So my, my question to you is whether or not it actually makes sense, practically speaking, to have both the 85 and the 55, because those two, oh. those two seem to me to uh, like the 55, I guess I would keep because it is the de facto walk around lens that you've got. The 25 yes. is valuable mm-hmm. because it gives you a markedly different um, focal length to work with. But the 85 seems to be a kind of supplement in case you want to be doing more telephoto stuff. And it, it just, I, I'm not sure that it justifies its presence in that bag as well as the other two. And if it's a matter of like, I don't care because I've got the room for it, then that's fine. But if I'm like, if we're trying to help you cut down on things that might not be necessary, then that would be um, that would be something that I would mark for removal, especially because the 85 is is you know one of the bigger lenses there. It is, it is. I I think I agree, uh, but I I'm solely bringing it along. Like I thought um, when it, when Alvaro went to Paris, there well, you went around New Year's, right? Yeah. Um, you had taken the 70 to 200 and I saw some of those photos and I thought, wow, like I just love the telephoto travel photos. I talked, we talked about this way back in that inspiration show. Um, I, I I said, Kate Holstein, I think is her name. Yeah. Uh, she takes those telephoto travel shots and granted this isn't a telephoto, like it's not like a 200 millimeter lens or a 400 millimeter lens, but it's what I have. And I thought I kind of want to see if I can emulate or emulate, um, imitate that style, uh, that whole, that Kate Holstein shoots. So anyway, that's the thought process behind it is I still, I absolutely want to have a a telephoto of some sort. Um, but you're right. It easily will be the least used lens. I, I anticipate it being staying in the bag a lot more than the other two. Well, I'm not sure that's the lens I would remove from your from your list because oh, good fight you guys can fight let's go uh yeah no i mean if we're trying to help you then yes then leave the baddies out and that's fine but if i'm if i was trying to come up with the ideal three lenses to bring in, to bring with me on a trip like that uh, the one that kind of feels redundant to me is actually the 55 mm-hmm. because yeah it marries is absolutely right it's too close to the 85 to be that unique and the problem is it's a little bit too tight to be used comfortably for many types of walk-around shots. Street. Yeah. Right. So I would actually try to take a 35mm lens instead and use that as a walk-around lens. And that was mine. That's my biggest worry about it is there's a big jump between the 25 and the 55. Yeah. Uh, I know that I did talk about the Olympus having a 15mm or a 30mm lens. So it's kind of a nice, you know, in between. But if I if I could have my own way, like I, I would take the 24 to 70, uh, either the F4 or the F28 GM. The GM is big. So I, I just didn't like that idea from the get-go. Um, but for sure, like I would love to have a 35 in here. I think I that's the easily the thing I was working I was even tweeting it uh, to da- at Dan Hawk recently about that, and I hmm. asked him what his experiences were with with it. So, and you know the the Sony size thirty five millimeter lens, the two point eight, is a just the perfect uh, travel lens because it's so tiny. Right, 
It's fairly cheap. I guess I could have thought about that. I just wrote it off. But what other lenses do you own, Josh? I'm not sure what your this is. Lineup. This is this it. This is it. Okay. This is it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from from my perspective, I again, I, I sort of flag those two as potentially uh, going away. Which of them you would lose depends a lot on on the shooting that you do. I mean, for for me, first of all, I think my my walk around lens would be the 25, because for travel, that is I'm much more likely to encounter a scenario where that focal length makes sense versus a more it's wide though it's wide yeah it, like I, that's the only thing is that it's super it's wide yeah i know but anyway that i'm just you know i think that one again it justifies itself because it is a markedly different focal length yeah okay fair enough but between the other two it kind of depends like i'm not sure which of them you shoot around like at home which one are you using more right because that's yeah. typically that's the one that you would want to bring with you. Um, and in this particular case, between the two of them, there's not really a difference in terms of light gathering ability. So we can't say like, oh, bring the 85 because it, you know, it, it's faster or something like that. Like they're both 1.8. Right. Um, I don't know about, you know, focusing speed or whether the bokeh is the right animal eyeball shape for you. But oh, they, here we go. But, <laughs> but I would be tempted, I would be tempted to, to drop one of those and yeah, I mean, I, I think if you don't have a 35 or something in that in-between range, um, if you have a way to obtain one, whether it's renting it for the trip or, or borrowing it or whatever it is, that might prove to be more valuable than mm -hmm. having two telephoto options. Right. Um, because it's that middle ground that forms the basis of a lot of great travel photography. Yeah. Unfortunately, that, that, that's, that particular gap is the important one. Um, rather than the Mortellus. So I'm, I'm going to write down the 35 millimeter F2.8 and see if maybe I can pick it up for maybe for in the short term. Uh, yeah, well, I'll take a peek. The alternative, I guess the alternative is you take the zoom, right? Because if you're dropping, if you're dropping one of the lenses, then your kit size still stays relatively equivalent, especially if it's the 85 that goes right. Right. If I was traveling all the time, a zoom would be the first thing I'd buy. Yeah. Especially, you can eliminate all three of these with one one lens. One good zoom, yeah. But anyway, right. I, I think the lens lineup is fine. I mean, the, these options will cover a lot of ground, and I think you you will run into um, situations where you'll be like, oh, I sure wish I had a 200 or something, but that's yeah. not really, I don't think that's a fundamental problem. I think you're covering most of what you're going to need to shoot. And honestly, it'll just force you to be more creative. If you're looking at a scene and you're like, oh, I wish I had a 200, but I've got only, you know, an 85. What can I do with this instead? And it's, right. you know, I, I think you you can work around that. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned. I think, uh, I think they're well-chosen lenses. I'm just not sure you need the two teleside ones. So yeah, you guys picked it apart well. Well done. I'm impressed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> next is the strap, right? This Luma Loop thing. Oh yeah, I didn't. I, you know, it's funny. I I, um, I didn't p put it in the picture because it didn't line up very well with anything else. <laughs> like you got the bag on the right. I could have yeah. put it on top, but anyway, I did. It, it was my my uh, symmetrical mind was going crazy with the with the luma loop so i just thought screw it i'm not even gonna put it in <laughs> this is one of those uh, sling style straps right like the black rapids yeah. and the yeah. um yeah okay that's it, yeah i mean that's that's the only kind of strap i would ever use so if the only problem with it i'll, I'll just throw this out there and i haven't 100 percent decided but if you throw a sling style strap across your body with a backpack on um the, the the straps first off like i hold it on my left shoulder so the backpack strap and the luma loop strap end up on top of one another and then the luma loop because it's being pulled down to my side my right side it ends up kind of at an angle and it digs a little bit into my neck just slightly and because the camera is not too heavy it's not a huge deal but if it was a bigger heavier camera 
it gets uncomfortable. And that's actually the reason why I, I, I had hinted in the last few episodes where I'm still thinking about taking a, like just a normal neck strap, like the one that comes in the box. I'm still honestly considering it. And if I have room, I might take both depending on whether or not I'm wearing the backpack or I'm not wearing the backpack. Right. Yeah. And honestly, for, for typical traveling where you're not like climbing things, a neck strap makes a lot of sense because the camera's in front of you. It's easy to keep track of. And you're not, I mean, for me, the reason I hate neck straps is because so often when I'm shooting anywhere, I climb things like I'm this random idiot that goes climbing on structures and, and especially out in the forest (laughs) or stuff like that. I'm always just clambering on things like a goat. So (laughs) if I'm, if I'm wearing a neck strap, it's really annoying because the camera is always flopping outward into rocks or into other things that aren't that friendly to cameras. So, uh, but, but if I were just wandering around on streets and being like a normal human being, um, I think I'd probably prefer that, especially with backpack, um, right. You know, like carrying the rest of it. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. And that's why when I'm, uh, when I'm out shooting, I do the, like one shoulder has the messenger bag on one side and then the other side is the camera. And that balances out really nicely because they're not really interfering with each other, but you don't have that luxury with a backpack. No. So, right. And that's something that I'm struggling with right now because I'm packing my bag and I'm doing it in a backpack. Um, right. And so now I have to confront this exact problem and figure out how, I'm going to solve it because I hate neck straps. <laughs> well, I would I would encourage you guys to look into the Peak Design uh, capture clip and the clutch oh, yeah. strap because they those two make for a really nice combination. That's what I have. Just put it on the backpack strap and off you go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have the uh, I don't have the backpack. No, I mean the the cuff wrist strap, not the clutch. The cuff. Oh, one. okay. Is that what you did when you went to Paris? You just put it like you held it in your hand the whole time, or did you yeah. have a? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I used the this cuff strap, and I had the anchoring point of the uh, capture clip on the on the tripod mount of the camera, and the clip itself on the strap, the shoulder strap of the backpack. So you get to well, well the messenger bag in my case. Right. So whenever I needed my hands, I could just clip the camera to the bag, and the the really smart thing about the cuff strap is that it it unlocks really quickly, and you get to you you never remove the strap from your wrist but you get to detach it from the camera really easily so it's it it's like a smart way to keep your hands free when you need to and to have your camera securely attached to something at all times be it your bag or your hand but it's never loosed by its own yeah i think the peak design system in general is brilliant that way because it it gives you so many different options without requiring that you actually remove things fully each time uh, like it's yeah. just a very quick snap in snap out process i don't actually own the bag mounting um clip thing i'm, I'm using it with the um whatever the, the seat belt strap is the blue one um and I, i'm using it like i've mounted it so one of the things is attached to the bottom tripod plate and the other one is uh, attached to the side of the camera so it, right. it hangs like a sling which is very practical but i also have the clip on the other end so that i can wear it like a normal neck strap if i want to um, but I think that because I'm going to be backpacking, I, I have to do what you did, Alvaro, and, and just buy that um, the strap clip thing so that it can be hanging off of my uh, backpack strap by my shoulder instead, because that might just right. be a better system overall. I've never tried that before. Like, I have no sense of whether or not I'd, I'd like it, but I know several photographers who who use that system and they seem to uh, they seem to really like it. So I'm, I'm guessing it's probably just a matter of getting used to it and then uh, then we're off. So I love it. I was a bit hesitant to, but once I tried it, I, I it's really smart. And the, the great thing about the calf 
the cuff strap is that you, when you're not using it, you can wear it as a bracelet. Like it folds in on itself and attaches to yeah. one end, attaches to the other. And so basically, yeah, it's always on you. Right. There's no way to, to lose it until you do like I did. <laughs> okay, so let's let's move on because we've got other cameras in here too. This is where I start to get a little bit confused. But anyway, we've we've got um, uh, the Olympus OMD EM5 Mark II, which we know is one right. of Josh's favorite cameras, and it's definitely one of mine as well. Um, and you've paired that with the uh, Leica 15 millimeter f 1.7, mm-hmm. and uh, this is going to be used not just by you, but also by Jacqueline. So is that the main reason that this is also in there or is it more for you and she just gets to use it when you're not using it? No, no. I I would say that it's going to be her camera. It'll be around her neck 99% of the time. Okay, cool. Then my my complaint is gone. Right. Because if it were for you, then you would have a 30 millimeter equivalent lens, basically. And yes, it's not the same format as the a7 II, but you could still use it to bridge that gap between the 25 and the 55. Right. My thought process was solely, you know, I'm walking down the street, I'm got the 55 or the 25 on the camera. In all likelihood, you know, she's shooting some photos, I'm shooting some photos. We get both focal lengths at both at the same location. You know, that was my thought. So in the end, we'll likely, it, it won't be perfect, but I'll still have 35 millimeter shots when necessary. Yeah, and that might honestly be the solution to the to the problem. Like rather than you trying to fill that gap in the Sony system, just let the Olympus take care of that particular right. focal length and yep. and just leave it at that. Because yep. yeah, I I don't see a big uh, a big problem there. Guys, that lens, that 15 millimeter lens, it seems like it was built for travel. Wow, like it's, I think it's about an inch to inch and a half deep. Like it's. It's a tiny little lens. It's 35 millimeters. It's great focal quality, or sorry, great optical quality. Anyway, I, I'm kind of jealous that Jacqueline gets to use that little camera. Um, <laughs> well, you could trade. Yeah. I, I'm i not going to lie, guys. Sometimes I went, oh, I should just sell the whole Sony system and go back to Olympus because they're so much fun to use. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know that. I know that feeling. But yeah, that's the thought behind there. I'm actually going to take the little grip. I, I When I wrote the Olympus, the EM5 Mark II review, I talked about the grip pretty uh, extensively. And we're going to, I asked Jacqueline what she would like for the trip. And she said, you know what? I, I like the grip enough to, to bring it with. It doesn't add that much bulk. So it doesn't add any like battery um, improvements, right? You have to get, it's a two piece grip in order to get the battery, the second battery to work with uh, the M5 Mark II. Do you guys know how that grip system works? Yeah, yeah. 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 It's yeah. kind of dumb. But um, but anyway, I'll have the the horizontal grip, which is, just gives her a little bit more in in her, in the hand grip as opposed to the portraiture. So uh, yeah, she, she wanted to take it. And so we're going to bring that with. Okay, cool. So that's that's that one. I mean, again, because it's if it's mainly her camera, then my complaint goes away. Yep, um, and right. then we've got the GoPro, which we you know spent the first half of the episode talking about and all of its right. various... Um, accessories because you know you've you've got to have accessories if you buy into the gopro ecosystem yes (laughs) Yes. um and then you also have a whole bunch of i guess what i would call accessories here you've got your sd cards uh so yeah let's you know what let's talk about storage because that's a big um that's a big problem not just the actual camera storage but what happens when you're offloading footage right fire away you've got your sd cards of which i see you've got quite a variety so that's 
pretty good. Right. There, there's also the one that's in the camera shooting this picture. So there's there's that as well. Yeah. It's only a 16 gigabyte card, but it's it's something. It'll it'll store like over 4,000 JPEGs from the, the Olympus. So I think that should be good. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't really have a sense of how the, um, how the A7 bodies chew through... Um, space just because of the the um megapixel count i assume that it goes through cards pretty quickly but right. alvaro the, the the uncompressed files are 48 megabytes right yeah around 50 something like that yeah 50 yeah i, I shoot the compressed ones so they're about 24 and a half to 25 somewhere in that range yeah same here okay so that buys you some space okay cool all right so that's that's pretty good then i and honestly you're going to europe um so if you need extra cards you can buy them uh, so, Good point. So I'm yes. not too concerned on that front. Same thing with batteries too. Right. It's true. Yeah. Although batteries, I don't know, at least for me, I, I find that those are harder to come across, um, you know, the right model, depending on what you're shooting. But anyway, yeah. So you've got, you've got your cards. And then the idea is that you're going to offload periodically to your MacBook, I assume, right? Right. Each night. That's right. Okay. Each night. Cool. And then is there any sort of portable backup um, that you're doing? Nope. I knew that this this is what was going to come up, but hey, fire away. Th- this is this is why we went, I like I said in, in the piece, I said I we could go with the smaller MacBook, the 256, and then I could buy a portable hard drive. Or I could go with the 512 and just put everything onto the MacBook. Now, I know it's not smart because there's not two locations to have it. Um, well, there, there are if you don't remove, if you don't delete the cards. If I don't remove it from, right, right. Um, let's say I do have to, because I, I anticipate potentially, well, maybe not. Anyway. You probably have to, but I, I... Eventually. I mean, I ask it as an open question, but I think for safety's sake, um, it's probably safe to bring an external portable drive with you. And then, of course, whenever you um, pull in the footage um, on the MacBook, you can do it with Hedge, and then it can pull it yes. to the MacBook and the external at the same time. So yeah. it's, it's still one process from your perspective. Um, my, my only concern is, again, if, if anything happens to that MacBook, then um, you're in trouble, right? Whereas at least yeah. if you have a portable drive with you and it's in a separate pocket or location or whatever, um, then you've, you've got the photos safe. And to be honest with you, storage these days is not that expensive. I mean, you can get a one terabyte portable drive for like 50 bucks. Yeah. And that's going to carry everything, right? It's twice the size of your computer. So it's it's yeah. it's going to carry everything that you need. And it's small enough that it's not really going to be an added bulk. But it gives you the peace of mind of knowing that your photos are safe no matter what happens, at, at least somewhere. You know, it's very unlikely that both of those things will be damaged. Um, but if, you know, if it's not worth the, the peace of mind to you or you just don't want the hassle of an extra thing to deal with and then it's fine i was just curious because yeah i think the benefit does weigh outweigh the cost here i I think i agree with you the only thought was just like uh what am i gonna do with it after and and that was all i mean 50 bucks for a three-week trip to i maybe i haven't i've just kind of jumped over this calculation in my head and not given it enough thought um i think you're right uh but i just when i come back I wanted to have an excuse to use this stuff again, and I don't right. think I would ever use the hard drive. And that was like, okay, then I'm not going to buy it. But, but what are you using to do a backup of your MacBook's drive? Uh, I have a, like an Airport Express here at home, and then I have a, a desktop drive plugged into that that everything backs up into that thing. Okay. So, you know, I don't have a portable drive uh, as of right now. Uh, I could easily go get one. Like you said, they're 50 bucks. And I'm now, like, like you said, I'm leaning towards actually going to get one of them um there is enough room in the bag to throw it into so it really wouldn't it really wouldn't hurt 
Um, so it, it's going into the notes app that there's no doubt about that. Okay. Yeah. I just, I just bring it up because to me, whenever I, you know, I bug people about backups all the time. So just yeah. had to, you're, you're right. <laughs> I, I don't have any argument to beat you on this one. So, cool. okay. All right. So we got that. And then you've got some, some power accessories. Uh, you've got the USB-C hub, um, for the right. MacBook, which guys I'm using today for the first time, yep. plugged it in. I have power to my MacBook. I have the USB mic plugged in and, oh, Except I won't lie, this this Sateki USB C hub is um, it's fifty bucks. It's easily fifty dollars well spent if you have a MacBook, but it's poor quality. Oh, I I got it out of the box and like I shook it and there's like a little you can hear this something bouncing around on the inside. Ooh. Like, yeah, and it, you know it doesn't you know you plug it in and it's just held by one port and a tiny port at that right. So there's right. this long like thing. So it's like easily flexible. You know, you could easily move this around. I'm looking at it right now and it bends easily. Um, so right. I gotta be, I'll have to be careful with it. I'm never, I think what I'll do likely is I'm only going to use it when I have to, I'm not going to just, it's not going to become like a, a desktop kind of thing. When I get home, I plug it in automatically. Right. I'm going to leave this as an accessory in the desk shelf and pull it out only when I need to use it. That's a shame for that price though. I mean, I would expect yeah, it to be a little I more. I was disappointed. Like Apple's little, US, Apple's right. They've got the USB C to USB A and it's this little, this dongle and it doesn't have a pass through. Like the nice part is that this one charges while yeah. everything is plugged in, right. which is awesome. Also the micro SD card, I think I haven't tried this yet, but I believe that this one doesn't allow you to use a micro SD card and an SD card at the the exact same time uh -huh. it has a port right. for both but you can't use both at the same time yep. um but yeah this has passed through which is great you got power but apple's like at the very least like it's a higher quality without a doubt i would never worry about you know ripping that dongle or breaking it or but this one ooh, i i'm i guarantee you at one point or another it will break yeah right. so that's that's not encouraging but at least you've got it and it'll give you some extra flexibility in the field so that's like you said if you take care of it then it's fine right for this three weeks it'll work um and then you've got a power cube which is a uh, usb converter and like travel yes thing. have you guys ever I, I of all of the accessories in this in this picture this one is the one i'm most proud of <laughs> I, I it's dumb and dumb like it's really cute I, I, yeah you go to the wire cutter it's a wire it, you type in like best travel converter or whatever, and the wire cutter recommendation for the best surge protector when traveling pops up. So like I'm, I'm not very good with this stuff. I don't even know what their recommendation does by you know what. I, anyway, I don't know what it does. But halfway down the article, this power cube one is in there, and you look at it and go like, oh, this is brilliant. So there's four outlets, um, two USB. Uh, type A ports on the front of it. So you can charge like six things at once. Um, and then the, you can see the two plugs there. It comes with, uh, with four plugs in total, a North American one, an Australian one, a UK and a Europe one. Nice. Uh, so you can change all of those all the time. So I only need one, the, I only need the cube and those two plugs for the trip. But when I come back, like I can use it as a power bar if I want here at home. So it's it's a really I think it's a really awesome accessory. Yeah, and if it does surge uh, protection too, then that that's very good, especially for if you're in a place where the the power is a little less stable than it is over here. It'll, it'll you know condition the power a little bit more, so you don't damage your gear. Right, right, right. Uh, Alvaro, question for you: If I plug this guy into the wall with the European connection, yeah, um, how like am I safe to plug? 
four things into it at once with two USB things you know, into the front, like six devices all powering at once. Am I safe to do that? Yeah, yeah. If it's just uh, charging batteries, you're fine. Perfectly fine. Or, or you know, powering the MacBook. That's perfectly okay. Right. Because I was thinking at the end of the day, what I would do is I'd plug the MacBook in to one of the four outlets and then the MacBook can have the USB-C pass-through, right? So then I right. can plug two USB devices into that and I can do two USB devices into the front of the actual power cube. And then I've still got three outlets to work with. Yeah. Um, and I do have a lot of stuff to charge. Like I had to write down a list of it. I got two iPhones yet that I would want to charge while we're out there. Um, so there's a lot of things to kind of keep topped up. And I was just wondering how often I'd have to wake up at night to change what is charging. <laughs> so if I'm safe, then that's yeah. good to know. Well, you can charge your iPhone through the MacBook itself, right? Right, right. That was one. Or I could do it through the front of the cube, like whatever works. But um yeah. But yeah, like here at home, I, not that I've ever like run into a scenario where a power bar doesn't work. I, I've got a lot of things plugged into the one outlet where my iMac is plugged in, for instance, but I just wasn't sure if I would run into problems with that over in Europe. There should, there shouldn't be any reason. I don't know. Okay. I Good. mean, it's never happened to me. So. Right. So that's your power solution. And then you mentioned the iPhone and of course the, the iPhone's going to be with you. I like that you, uh, in the article pointed out that one of its greatest, um, value adds to this particular kit is the live photos because oh, awesome, I entirely guys. agree with you. I love those. And I think that they bring a whole new dimension um, that, that is especially valuable for travel, right? Because that's, that's really where you want to capture a bit more uh, of the environment and, and a glimpse of what that might be like. So I think good call on that. When Jack graduated this week, I took photos, not with my camera, but with the iPhone. And I've got three live photos of her going up and accepting her her diploma. And I like, there's just, I don't know, guys, that is 10 times more powerful. When I show that to her parents, they go, Oh, whereas just a photo is like, Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. 100%. You know, like the live photo is just like, it's even got sound to it. I don't know there it's, it is the single greatest invention to photography, like for like emotional, the emotional aspect to me, for me, at least I love live photos. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, okay, so we got just a few more items on your list here. One of them is the MiPhoto Backpacker Tripod. Yes. Which, oh, oh, I'm I'm nervous okay, so, about taking this with. I don't know. Yeah, so my question for you for this one is, um, given that a tripod is something that in a travel context, you, you, know, you maybe don't have as many opportunities to use, do you think that there are enough opportunities present to justify taking this one over the smaller Manfrotto Pixie that I know you have? Right. First off, I broke the Pixie, which sucks, so I'd have to rebuy it. All but it's right. cheap, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like um, twenty bucks. So uh, right. I also like Alvaro's. Like you've got that the other Manfrotto one that's uh, all metal, ten times better. Yeah, that's um, awesome. It, it looks really good. That one's a little more money, but um, will I have enough opportunities? I I don't know. Um, I asked Jacqueline more than once. I said, like, I'm not, I'm hesitant to bring this thing with because this takes up a fair amount of space. And, and she says, well, we can store it in our check luggage. Like we're not going to use it in the airport. So I don't have to carry this in the backpack all the time. And we will have enough room in our checked luggage to have this, this tripod in it. So that's, you know, that's okay there. Um, but I asked her and I said, how many times am I going to use it? And she said, well, I want to take photos of the, of both you and I, um, in front of monuments or wherever we are. And so there, she wanted it more for like selfie purposes and maybe, maybe she's got a point. And so that's why it's in the picture. Uh, 
I don't know if I said that it was a game time decision, but this is also a game time de- decision. I'm not I'm not sure yet if it's coming with. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I guess if you have it, you're also going to seek out opportunities to use it. To use it. So there's right. that. I'm just curious because for me, I know that tripods are often, um, whenever I've brought one with me, I, I've tended to regret it uh, if it's a bigger one. So I, okay. I just, Good to know. as a cautionary note, I don't know if, if that's just- It is a tiny little tripod. It's not big at all. So that's the, you know, it's not big, but- but yeah, yeah, I know them. I've seen them at uh, I've seen them at Vistec and Henry's and things like that. They're they're very cool. I just again they're they're bigger than other tripod options that right, you have. Right. So just right. uh, you know, put putting that out there. Alvaro, what do you think? I would definitely bring it along, okay. and if you have space in your your luggage, then definitely bring it along. But I would also try to get my hands on one, on that Manfrotto tripod because that can always be with you, and it's surprisingly versatile mm-hmm. for selfies and right. that kind of picture right. if you remember it has the center column that is extendable right that, so it's actually pretty tall too hey well it's like half a meter tall something okay. like that so it's right. enough if you find some place to prop it up a little bit it gets you to a decent height so that you can take a, a nice picture of both okay. you and Jacqueline right. uh, I I, that's all I brought with me to Paris and it worked brilliantly for that purpose and lots of other things. And the key thing about this little tripod is that since you always have it with you, whenever the opportunity arises, you know, you can take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. I would also bring the bigger tripod because you're going to you're gonna be traveling to some pretty scenic, uh, scenic uh, landscapes. and Right. And night photos, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that's right. So there will that's be right. opportunities to use the big one too. And uh, I wouldn't maybe bring it with me every day on a walk, but there will be moments during your trip when you're going to have certain shots planned ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where it comes in. Yeah. Right. So this is, where, this is where I was leaning. This is, why, this is my thought process with it. Um, but I also haven't packed my bags yet. And if there's not room in the bag, this is the first thing to go. It's also right. a matter of travel style because I just realized now that this backpack is not the only thing you're you're carrying. Like you're talking no, about, no, no, no. You're I'll, talking about luggage, so that's a whole different dimension. Like, uh, yeah, like I've got a big. We'll have one big pole luggage, like with wheels, that we'll take, and then I've got my like a hiking big sixty liter backpack. It's a Kelty backpack I bought uh, six or seven years ago. Right. Bright orange. You'll you know if you see me walking down the street, you'll know it's me. Okay. <laughs> um, so and then I've got this, and this is kind of like the daily carry bag. So okay, yeah. So that that makes more sense. Um, but speaking of bags, your your main bag um, for for all of this equipment is the uh, the Isar rucksack, which yeah, not a camera bag. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean that makes sense honestly, <laughs> but for this, I mean we've had this conversation before. I think uh, given the given the distribution of gear here, it's there's not enough camera gear to justify having a dedicated yeah. camera bag. So you've got this like floppy sack instead. Yeah, the um, floppy sack. Which, <laughs> which you love. So tell us about it. <laughs> it it seems, it's really good. Yeah, I, it, it sits higher on my back than what I expected. Like, and then on top of that, you know how you can, you know, you got the pull straps for your back, for the, the straps yep. to tighten or loosen. Yep. These ones are really, really tight. The whole bag is raw canvas. And I think there's extra friction with that raw, with that canvas, um, like the material. So the metal and the canvas and those straps, like, like I said, there's a lot of friction and it's hard to pull them up and down and loosen the straps. So, um, that part, I, I really, I don't like so far. It's very secure, which is really, really good. Uh, but yeah, that part I don't like, uh, and the raw canvas isn't as weather 
proofed as I would like either. But man, these Cote CL backpacks get really expensive after a while. Yep. So uh, that was that. Uh, one thing that there's two different designs of the SR. One, um, Thomas Wong, our friend there in Toronto, he reviewed one for Tools and Toys. And it was the, it was an SR, but it was, a, I think, a waxed canvas or even had leather on it. Anyway, the, the laptop compartment is behind, um, is actually in, in f- sorry, how do I say this? It's behind the straps, meaning that you can access it while wearing the backpack. Right. Whereas this one, the laptop compartment is hidden behind the straps. So you actually have to take the backpack off in order to access that laptop compartment. Right. And I think in the long run, I'm going to not like that. But for this trip, I think the extra security for me I is a score. You know, there's no way you can get into that laptop bag when it's on my back. There's I, I if, if there's a pickpocket guy out there who can do that, uh, he wow. deserves the laptop. He deserves right? the gear. I was good. Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's secure. It's very secure. Um, there's the all, the other part that I also like about this bag is that it's a like a vertical um, a vertical zipper. So the zipper when it's closed is at the top of the bag and then it goes down. So um, you know all of the heavy gear will be at the bottom. Generally, like I think it's just going to float to the bottom. I'll have like a jacket and some extra like a pair of shoes or whatever. So I think like any leftover <clears throat> tech gear will end up at the bottom. And I just feel like that's a long way to go for somebody to stick their hand in all the way into the bottom to get the to get that gear. Whereas with a, a different like a, a normal backpack where the zipper goes all the way around, you can just open the side of the zipper, right? And stick your hand into the side and you're already halfway down the bag. Do you guys kind of understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. What you're so I, I, th- I mean, I'm, I, maybe I'm like really nitpicking and trying to sell the bag, but I, I think that it's going to be more sec- a more secure option than than at least than what we had before this. Yeah, and you'll look you'll look stylish for a given definition of stylish. So right, or or really weird, one or the other. Yeah, depending on your taste. Um, <laughs> right. Okay, I'm going to conveniently ignore the whole feel notes and pen thing because. <laughs> my god what uh, anyway and field so, what so instead <laughs> instead i'll ask the the key question here so I, i'm assuming you've sort of packed all this stuff into the bag what's the weight like yep it's not light um it's not like light light uh it's not overly heavy though either uh, i had jacqueline put it on when it was packed in there and she goes yeah this is heavy but i wouldn't want to carry this all day long she said but like if i've got to carry this from the airport to the hotel i'll be okay so I thought, okay, that, that's good because rarely is this bag going to be filled with all of this stuff all at once. Right, right. In fact, the tripod will rarely be in the backpack. I might, I, we're staying in hotels, so I'm thinking, I don't know what security is like yet. So I, I might leave the MacBook at the hotel, in the safe. maybe yep. yeah. in the safe, yeah. you know, so that might not come with, um, Jack has got like a small little pouch that I honestly might even put one of my lenses into because it might be faster to access her pouch than it is for me to open up the backpack every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they, all those kind of things, the backpack will rarely be filled with nothing but tech gear. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah. I mean, beyond that, I think that this is a solid outfit. I think you you have a lot of versatility built into this kit for capturing all sorts of different things, both in still and video form, which is great. Um, because you've got, I mean, the, the iPhone also doubles as your your main video camera beside the GoPro when you want like less unconventional right. angles. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, this is this is a solid 
travel kit, I think. I've, I've got the Marius and Alvaro uh, seal of quality stamped onto his. Yeah, you get oh, my yeah. stamp. Yeah, beyond, the, beyond the quibbles that we've just spent, you know, an hour exploring, I think, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think this is solid. There, there's one one quick thing I will uh, talk about because we skipped over the water the hand or the waterproof hand grip for the GoPro oh, right, yep. and the clamp whatever. I also have a three in one that came with the the purchase the three in one pole where it's like this hand grip but it extends longer so it's like a longer pole. But in the bottom of that is a little portable tripod just for the the GoPro. Which this is my only another annoyance by the way is the fact that the GoPro doesn't mount to a normal tripod. Yeah. Unless you buy an accessory, it amounts to GoPro mounts, which I, I get the thought process behind it business wise, but it's annoying. Well, it's not just it's not just business. It's also for um, sturdiness because a normal sure. tripod mount is nowhere near as secure. as. The yeah, GoPro that's mount, fair. So. That's fair. Uh, right. So all that being said, I have the clamp in here. And because when I took the photo, I thought, yeah, I'm going to take the clamp with. But I'm wondering if I might trade the clamp out for this three-in-one because it has that tripod in there. And now that I've tried these time lapses with the GoPro, I think the tripod mount for the GoPro will be very valuable. Like, you know, we've got a deck on one of our hotels in Santorini and I thought, you know, I'll take a uh, a long time lapse of the sunset on Santorini. Oh, that'll look gorgeous. But I need a tripod to do that. And therefore the three in one pole is almost certainly going to come with it's bigger than the, the waterproof grip. Um, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good trade off though. Yeah, I, I think so too. And just for our listeners sake, um, Three-in-one pole is a euphemism that Josh is using for <laughs> selfie stick, which he's trying to avoid admitting to having purchased. But it is hey. a selfie stick, so just wanted to clear uh, that up for people. It's a tripod. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, and then everybody will go, oh, right, Josh is right. It's actually a tripod. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there's the loadout, I think. I think this basically rounds it out. I didn't include any cords. You know, I got to bring uh, one single, I'll bring a USB uh, to lightning cable for the iPhones, but I'll only bring one. I got to bring along the charger for the MacBook. I got to bring along the dumb Olympus. The Olympus charger for the battery is bulky and the cord is pretty big. Yeah. Um, big and it's, and there's no way around that unless I, I haven't done much research on that. Maybe there is a way around it, but I'll have to bring that. So a lot of the cords will end up taking up a lot of space too. But those don't have to come with you. I mean, all of them don't have to come with you. So it's, yeah. Not on a daily basis. That's right. That's right. For sure. Any other recommendations? No. Uh, not off the top of my head. No. No. Yeah. I think you're good. I rambled for an hour here, guys. You guys are too kind. <laughs> That's good. I, you know, to, to me, like, again, this is this is informative. And, and I told you this when I read the article, because I'm doing the exact same thing right now as assembling my my travel kit. But I have the added complication of having foregone luggage. So my right. daily carry is going to be everything that I'm traveling to Europe with. I'm done with with separate luggage. So, oh, you're brave. That's that's how you do it. I, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm graduating to the annoying class of traveler now. That's I'm becoming one of those people, and so I have to deal with that, uh, that extra pressure. But you know, we can we can ex- examine my thing in uh, in another episode when I write my own post. I, I'm looking forward to doing that. We should do that definitely. I'll be the resident annoying traveler in that episode. <laughs> oh, you're the guy who lives there. You can give us all the actual advice. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> 